Hey, it's Dan O'Donnell. Welcome to a new episode of The Difference, the intersection between politics and economics alongside Dave Spano, the president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. We are certainly getting a heavy dose of economics, Dave, next two weeks. We're going to be hyper-focused on earnings season. We're going to be hyper-focused on the Federal Reserve politics as well geopolitical stuff it seems as though the presidential race is really starting to heat up labor day right after labor day weekend is when you see it really really kick into high gear whether we like it or not we're in another presidential election cycle first debate august 23rd in milwaukee will trump be there won't he be there what is the state of the republican field all of that sort of stuff but i want to start dave with inflation Okay. Because when the latest CPI number was released, we had peals of celebration, most notably from the uh, liberal spectrum of politics, saying, oh, look at how Joe Biden and the Fed have gotten inflation under control. It is 3% year over year. Okay. Inflation last year, year over year. Same month, 9%. 9%. 3% above that 9% is over two years, prices have risen 12%. Mm-hmm. You add roughly, what, 5 6% from the CPI number of June 2021, and you start to see just how rapidly prices have risen over the past three years. I mean, we're talking 18%. This is almost unprecedented. And while we're talking about inflation as though it's, it's a... a problem that is now in the past, I feel as though we're not getting the bigger picture about just how deep this issue really is, Dave. Well, the deeper issue, of course, is those who can't afford to go to the grocery store, who can't afford to go. In fact, I talked to someone just yesterday and they had to go to a laundromat and they were shocked at how much prices yeah. have gone up. They had went to the grocery store and they were shocked that their normal grocery bill was $80, what it was twice what it used to be. So those are the people that they've hurt the most. And, and there was a survey that came out, which I found really interesting over the weekend. They asked these fresh-faced kids in New York what they thought the problem with inflation was. And exactly half of them said monetary policy and the other half said fiscal policy and all the free money that was out there. So there's no question politics had fed this problem and is now trying to be the firefighter after they were the arsonist. So I guess I've got to ask, how likely is it that we're going to see the Fed reverse course or at least temporarily pause on its aggressive rate hikes. Yeah, I think we're going to see 25 basis points next week. It looks like that's already baked in. And the Fed has been pretty good about being transparent and and telling us what they're going to do with telegraphing. So likely 25 basis points. And then afterwards, of course, there's the meeting and the chairman has got to take questions. And that's when he's probably going to say, we're going to wait and see how things progress from here. But they're probably going to keep a 25 basis point hike before they end of the year in their pocket. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is not the last rate hike, but that's what everyone's calling for. And that's the reason why you saw a rally 
in equities markets up 2.5% just last week alone. So we'll have to watch that and see what is the further data. And is there some manipulation? There was an article in the Wall Street Journal about how they should recalibrate inflation. And it's just, you know, it's kind of funny because they recalibrated what we say when a recession is. So I'm not shocked that that conversation was out yeah. there. But if they recalibrate it because we're going into a presidential year, uh, I would not be surprised at all. No, of course they're going to. <laughs> I mean, we can't we can't possibly be in an inflationary environment heading into a presidential year. We can't possibly be in any sort of recession in a presidential election year. And I think you're you're going to have to expect the unexpected with respect to uh, markets, with respect to all of it. Did you know that we're just seven percent away from all-time highs? All-time yeah. highs. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, it, it's almost like you don't think about that, and it seems as though there is sort of this disconnect between the market and how people feel about the economy. Because mm -hmm. remember, we sort of get in this, and I always talk about the political bubble that we're in. That if you listen to a show like mine, it means obviously you're very smart, you're very well informed, <laughs> and you're very good looking, right? Mm -hmm. I just assume that about all of my listeners, but. We are, and I, I, I say this not to be because, oh my gosh, I'm informing my listeners. So you're among the 5% the most informed people in this country. And we get into this bubble thinking everybody else thinks like us. Yeah. Everybody else could even name who, say, Hunter Biden is. Right. It's not true. Right. It's the same thing when we talk about investments, right? We think that everyone in the world has investments. Well, not everybody has a 401k. And very few people, statistically speaking, do independent investing outside of their 401k. They're relying on that. They're relying on Social Security. They're relying on maybe a pension that they have, something like, you know what I'm saying. Right. So when we talk about the markets, we need to understand, I think, that there are a lot of people who, a, a shocking amount, Dave, you had the statistic a couple of weeks ago, what was it, 50%? of people in this country are essentially living paycheck yep. to paycheck. Yep. Yep. I mean, that that to me is, and I say this not, you know, as this fat cat radio host with his top hat and monocle. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's shocking to me that so many people are in such precarious financial positions. Right. And I've, I've read, I can't even talk, uh, tell you how much literature about the, the coming retirement bomb. Right. How when people my generation, I'm 42, just turned 42 last week. Happy birthday. Uh, happy birthday. Yeah. It's, <laughs> no, I'm fine. I don't know about you, Dave, but I'm feeling 42, to quote the great Taylor Swift. Yes. People my age just don't have, we're not as a generation, I think, as retirement focused as the Xers and the Boomers, which is uh really a, a recipe for disaster because we're going to be living a whole lot longer for than sure. your generation, the generation before, thanks to advances in medical technology, AI, and so forth. Right. I, I think this is a bigger issue than people realize that while markets may be doing great, everyday Americans, are, I think, are far more harmed and far more impacted by the dramatic three-year rise in prices. I agree than we'd care to admit. I totally agree with that. And of course, it's not going to go away anytime soon because part of this inflationary story is embedded. And what I'm talking about is wage inflation in real estate. So you still see there is a great demand. I had a friend who listed a house and they had eight offers on the same day. 
the, the, the day they released it. So uh, so there's still this great amount of demand in real estate, and so that's become embedded. And, of course, there is this huge talent shortage, which is causing wage inflation. So those two pieces, which is a big part of the CPI calculation, is not going away anytime soon. So they can look at, you know, does the price of bread moderate or eggs or whatever else you want to look at. And of course, there's oil. Uh, all of these things might moderate, but there's some embedded inflation. So the 2% that the Fed targets may be in front of them for a while. And do they look at it and say, maybe we should come off 2%? That question has been asked to Powell over and over again, and he says no. He adamantly says no. So we'll have to see if they overdo it and raise rates until they break something. But as you point out, the inflation is hurting the bottom 50% of earners in this country substantially. Now, in uncertain times, we always say that you need some modicum of certainty. At least you need a plan moving forward. And that's why we always recommend that you head to AnnexWealth.com for a free wealth metric. It's a review of your portfolio to help you know what you own, why you own it. If you're not an investor yet, take those first steps. I'm telling you, you will not regret it. You will not regret taking control of your financial future. I promise you that. As someone who took that step and really started investing in earnest, uh, I would say during the Great Recession of 2007, 2008, 2009, and then really ramped it up in the coronavirus recession of a couple of years ago, I certainly don't myself. I do want to talk to you, Dave, about uh, the story. It's 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 uh, a business story to be sure, but it's sort of a broader cultural story. And that, of course, is the Hollywood strike. SAG-AFTRA, the Hollywood Actors Union, has joined the Writers Union on the picket line. Hollywood is essentially shut down. Now, there's the smaller issue of how this impacts movies and television shows and entertainment stocks. But there is also this broader cultural shift that when Hollywood went on strike last time, a few years back, it was a major thing. Right. Yep. It was like, oh, my goodness, all the late night TV shows have gone dark. We have had for the first time now, we have actors and writers on strike for the first time since like the 50s or 60s. And it feels as though it's not really registering in the general consciousness. Now, is this because it's happening during summer when everybody's on vacation or is it because Entertainment has become so democratized, so decentralized. You no longer have a studio system like you did in the 50s and 60s. You no longer even have the thing that was supposed to save Hollywood just five, six years ago, streaming, being the dominant player anymore. It feels as though this is sort of the broader move towards decentralized entertainment where anyone... Like Mr. Beast, for example, the YouTuber has a far bigger audience than any network television show. Every video he puts out gets 10, 12, 15 million views. Now, does this mean there are 15 million people watching? No, but it does mean that some some random 25-year-old kid can put together content that is drawing bigger audiences than massive, big-money Hollywood productions. And to me, this is a big problem for said production and it's probably a good thing for entertainment consumers, but I don't see how long-term the Hollywood studio model 
continued. I don't think this ends well. You think about things that happened, you know, just uh, over the past week, Matt Damon was at a uh, premiere in London. I know he walked out trying to make a story, you know, so I, what did we need to watch Law and Order and NCIS and, and, you know, all the reruns again? I mean, there, there is already pressure on these, these stocks, Walt Disney, Paramount, Warner Brothers, all of these companies are loaded up with debt, Dan. And, right. and, and now you're going to have this problem. I mean, these are bad economics. Their stocks show that. So there's probably going to be some bankruptcies that come out of this. And, of course, what happens out of that? Not only is it bad investing, but what happens for the consumer? And does it further decentralize, as you put it, how people get their media? And that is concerning because it pushes more fringe news outlets out there. And I think that could be an issue as we head into a presidential election. Where do you get your news? Is right. it factual? I mean, the only place you're going to get it is Dan O'Donnell. I mean, exactly. I was just going to say, Dave, you know exactly how we cross promote on this program. Uh, <laughs> but there, there is there is that question, not just of news in the the television uh, business. But, I mean, print has been essentially dying a slow death for yep. the last 20 years. Uh, by the way, did you see that there is a, now a scientific study, which, and I always like pointing this stuff out when it uh, confirms something that I theorized years and years and years ago. What killed the newspaper industry was not internet generally, but one specific site. Did you happen to see which site no, it was? I did not, no. Uh, if you if you haven't been following this saga, you might not know it. Craigslist.org. Oh, that's funny. When Craigslist popped up and it it basically starved newspapers of what was traditionally their biggest source of revenue, the classified ads, because if all of a sudden you didn't need to pay anything and you could get a, a huge potential buying market for whatever it was yep. you were selling on uh uh uh, Craigslist, and yep. now it's Facebook Marketplace, and yep. you know Amazon, eBay, all, well, all this. But, well, here's the other thing too. Just besides that, is you look at you know where people are getting their news. You see that. I mean, I read the Athletic, but the New York Times killed their yes. sports section. Yeah, and, and is now just using the Athletic. Yeah, the athletic. So I mean, so, I mean, if locally, if you look at the top stories and uh, you know in your local newspapers, you generally see sports stories are at the top yeah. of the list. And if they're going to decentralize that, that's further going to hurt their listenership and viewership. And that is theoretically, you know, it's like we we make fun of the the media because of, you know, the obvious bias and that right. sort of stuff. Ultimately, it's consumers that are hurt mm -hmm. because let's face it, if I'm starting a YouTube channel, right? And I want to do politics and news, what's sexy? What's like going to grab a lot of eyeballs? Talking about national stuff, Trump mm -hmm. and Biden and all this. Who is focused on the hyper local goings on? at City Hall. Yep. That is a big issue. Yep. I mean, local journalism is so, so critical. Yep. I think the future of that, by the way, it's going to have to be, unfortunately, you know, sort of privately funded where you've got billionaires. I mean, hell, Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post. Right. It's already happening. Uh, but that's going to be the sort of thing. And that opens up a whole new discussion but it's going to be a discussion for another episode let me just jump in uh you, yeah yeah, you, yeah you've please. got you've got a podcast as well besides the one that you do with me that i do probably should i talk do. about uh yeah you know it's the dan o'donnell show it's a podcast version of the radio program also if you like history forgotten history with dan o'donnell its own standalone podcast, five-minute history stories you might not have learned in school but i promise you will be insightful and 
entertaining. Thank you for that cross-promotion. Dave, be sure to subscribe to those on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. For Dave Spano, he's the president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. I'm Dan O'Donnell. Thanks so much for listening to The Difference. Annex Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. Opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect those of Annex Wealth Management, its producers, hosts, or guests. The host of this podcast is compensated for his endorsement of Annex Wealth Management. Information presented should not be considered as tax, legal, or investment advice or recommendation or solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risks. Neither Annex Wealth Management nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.